The following podcast is brought to you by the Village Sendo. For more information, visit villagesendo.org. Good morning, everyone. Uh, can you hear me? Okay. Okay. Uh, both in here and in there. Um, yeah. Well, first, I'd just like to welcome, there's a lot of new people here, which there was also yesterday. So it kind of feels like a auspicious and inspired um, beginning for the new year. And for some reason, September always feels like when the official new year should begin, uh, much more than like January 1st. It's kind of, um, it really feels like the beginning of uh, a new period and the close of an older one uh, in a sense and i always have this kind of mix of some excitement about that uh, along with a good dose of sadness that oh my god the summer is really faded uh, and there's usually uh, a fair amount of anxiety <laughs> that goes along with both of those uh, kind of like, okay, here we go again. And uh, I think speaking for myself and likely probably for many of you, uh, the anxiety level now is high. I mean, um, I think most of us just have a strong sense of just all the myriad conditions uh, that are giving us cause for anxiety right now from climate politics to the economy. Um, I just could go on and on and on, you know, earthquake and rock it's just every time you open your phone you don't even have to turn on the news because we're getting these alerts you know <laughs> you go to check what time it is now because it's interesting that our clocks and our sense of what time it is you just go to see oh it's a quarter to two and oh what fresh uh, kind of catastrophic really event is taking place somewhere uh, in the world and it could be across the world or it could be in the apartment next door um, and i think it can be difficult in these times to uh, have a sense of what to do uh, what path to take and you know kind of just how to move forward with so much that needs doing in the world, everywhere, in every way. 
And this is just on top of the regular questions that we may have about regarding how to proceed with our lives. And some of us may come to Zen practice to kind of escape all this, uh, to get rid of the anxiety and the dismay caused by just this endless array of distressing events happening all over the world. But to be honest with you, if you aren't feeling any anxiety these days, uh, I would be, even if you're coming to Sendo and practicing morning, noon, and night, then I would be concerned. Like, where are you? What world are you living in right now? So if this is case, the case, we might ask uh, why even bother practicing? I know that back when I began my practice uh, and for many years after that, I had this sense that if I just practiced hard enough or well enough, uh, that my fear and my anxiety, uh, my anger, and my sadness would just magically dissolve and be gone. And at that time, I was extremely depressed and uh, had a lot of fear. Uh, I'm like, the courageous lion uh, compared to <laughs> how I felt back then. Uh, and trust me, I am not the courageous lion. Uh, but I think my spirit animal my, back then might have been a snail or, or a turtle uh, tucked inside my shell, inside my studio. Um, I was just fine. Thank you very much. But uh, just when I walked out the door into the world, not not so much. Um, so there was a saying in the study text from the same in, the sayings of Layman Pang, which we looked at this past winter ongo. And um, I was surprised, you know, no one else uh, mentioned it, but I really loved this one. And so I thought I would, I just find it soothing. And uh, it goes like this, the name of this, the title of this saying was where the path leads. So one day the layman saw a young boy herding oxen and asked him, where does this path we're following lead to? The boy said, I don't know where it goes. The layman said, aren't you hurting the oxen? And the boy said, they live in these fields. 
The layman said, what time of day is it anyway? And the boy said, it's time to take the oxen out to pasture. And at this, the layman just laughed heartily. So I'll come back to this. But, um, you know, at the time of when I began practicing, I had spent a long time trying to find a place. And I was about to actually give up when I heard about the village Zendo, which was then in uh, Roshi and Joshin Roshi's apartment. Uh, and the minute really that first evening I walked in the door, I just knew that in some sense I had found home. And while it was always kind of challenging uh, to just be with people in a group. Uh, and the thing I loved the most about Zen is that you didn't have to talk. <laughs> it, was like, it was like, wow, you could be with people and not actually talk. How great is this? Who thought of this? Uh, so it was challenging, but there was also this sense of feeling at home in a way that I never felt anywhere else, including uh, the home in which I grew up. And on a certain level, I think I felt seen uh, for the first time really in my life. And it wasn't something that I was used to because early on when I was, it was just never a good thing. So to this day, you know, being seen uh, is both, you know, on one hand, uh, I suppose enriching and enriching and it's also very fraught. Those early things don't just go away, uh, but I guess we somehow make room for them. But because of this, uh, in many ways, the Zendo is where I feel like I actually really grew up. And, you know, in my early years for the first probably 10 to 15 years of my practice, you know, I was here, I was at the Zendo like four or five times a week, you know, I was just there, here, you know, all the time. And I was fortunate it was at a time in my life where I had the space that I could do it, but I also made the space so that I could do it. Because space and time are never things that we just have. They're like everything else we create. So 30 years later, you know, Fear, anxiety, anger, 
sadness um, are all still very much with me, but at the same time, it's not the same. I can live there one moment. And after the sound of the rainfall, we're returning to the breath. If even it's for three moments, I can be in a completely new and different place, you know. Kenko's beautiful talk yesterday reminded me of that saying, you know, because it's a story with the two monks and the broom, uh, that with each breath we can sweep the mind. Um, but also it's not just that we sweep these feelings away because in my experience, that's never actually really happened. Um, but I can sweep them into a place where I can have a different perspective and perhaps hold them a little bit more, a little differently and with more space. And when I can remember to, I actually try to open myself to just these feelings that I want to initially just sweep away and I actually try to allow them to teach me. To guide me uh, as opposed to just kind of habitually and reflexively uh, trying to annihilate them. And in so doing, annihilating myself. So I think when we remember to open to what's really going on, as opposed to disassociating it from it in some way, um, reality actually can become something quite different. Reality as it is becomes the very food that feeds the dragon the dragon that is our practice, not something to turn away from. You know, and practice is one of those words that we use all the time. And I think it's easy to forget what it really means. And it doesn't always mean the same thing, you know, it's one of those. It's one of those words. For many years, I thought practice was something that just happened on the cushion. And the other activities that I participated when I was in the Zendo, like in order to practice, I would just go to the Zendo and that's where practice took place. And if we're online, the practice would be what happened just when I turned on the computer and I sat down and I took a breath when the bell rang. And of course, this is um, 
it's foundational. But I think over time we come to see that the cushion or the chair is actually just the beginning. How we bring our mind to Zazen into all of our activity, into our everyday ordinary life is actually our practice. And we need help doing this because, you know, it isn't something that just naturally happens on its own for most of us, well, from anyone I've ever met in my life. But. And I think this is particularly true when things are challenging. Um, our first instinct is to often not open up, but it's quite the opposite. Uh, and I think, you know, at times like this uh, is when a lot of the tools and the forms or the bones of the practice can really help us. So, you know, actually, here's where the precepts become you know, really helpful. So it's like, how do we uh, bring our mind of Zazen to what's happening right now? Right where we feel stuck, angry, hurt, confused, or just plain lost. Um, and I think if we just can remember those three pure precepts, which really hold it all, which is the practice of our and really in the world of not knowing. Uh, to just right there in the midst of what's going on, uh, just arouse that mind of not knowing rather than trying to figure it out, explain or justify our feelings, uh, to pin them down, to put a frame around it. We can just very quietly and very simply return to not knowing the king of precepts, uh, to just breathe into wherever we are and just try to drop the narrative, to recognize and to admit that actually we don't know what's going on. Uh, and that's not only just okay, but it's actually quite rich. And to remember that we often don't have to make a decision in this moment. So if we can just simply be where we are, even though we don't at that moment know where it is, that permission 
to give ourselves to not know provides us a place to rest and find some peace or refuge even um, in the midst of great difficulty and confusion, just like it is on the cushion. And so from this kind of softer place of openness, then we can begin to more freshly observe and investigate oh, what's actually going on here. Uh, second pure precept, to bear witness to what we're feeling inside for starters and then to whatever we think may be going on outside of ourselves. And I say whatever we may think be going on, because often what we think is going on actually may not be actually what's going on. It may be, but it's important to always keep in mind that it may not be. So it's good for us to remember <laughs> that uh, we always have our point of view, no matter how open we think it is. It's always a point of view. So we bear witness and we may not understand it or even like it, but we can try to make room for it to honestly see what's there going on, both inside and out. And I think the more aware of what we are go what's going on and happening inside ourselves, often uh, it can give us a better possibility of seeing more clearly what's happening outside and how we may be affecting that dynamic. You know, and it's usually when we can't tell the difference that can be the hugest source of a lot of our suffering. Uh, for instance, we, I, uh, may think are, that people are judging me uh, constantly, uh, when really it's that I'm judging myself. They could be thinking about uh, where I'm going to have lunch when this talk is over. <laughs> uh, you know. For the rest of the world, it's not all about us. So, from this quality of a more open investigation or observation, this bearing witness, you know, we can often usually take more skillful action uh, as to what we should do, uh, which may be nothing, or it may be dramatically something. Uh, and as you know, I find that when I do open myself up 
to the reality that's around me, um, as well as the reality that's inside of me. Most decisions actually kind of just take care of themselves, and I'm not even aware that I'm making a decision. It's just like, oh, we're just doing the next thing, like we do here at the Zendo. Oh, there's the Bach, I turn to the left. You know, I don't have to think about it. And if I don't know it yet, I just simply look at the person next to me and, oh, okay, this is what's happening. Because after 30 years, you could still forget, oh, I turned to the left. So then you just look and, oh. So I would say that the more simply present we are in this moment, the more the next moment seems to just naturally follow without our having to make kind of these momentous decisions and choices. Because we actually usually have all the information we need to make these decisions, but we're too distracted and too busy looking for something else uh, to realize it. You know, I find with my work in the studio, when I try to think of what to do or come up with some great idea of what I should make next, I'm, I'm a potter in my case, you know, it just doesn't usually ever pan out. But when I just start working, it's like one thing leads to the next thing leads to the next thing. And I have to say, you know, my best things are things I never in a million years could have thought of. It's sort of like they happen on their own, except that you have to be there, fully be there to let it happen on its own. But it's not like something we figure out per se. So I think, you know, for many of us right now, there is this heightened sense, all that being said, of, oh God, what should I be doing now in the face of just so much profound uncertainty and suffering uh, in the world. And, you know, this has always been true, but at this moment, uh, it's just on the magnitude of scale and constancy that is uh, daunting and at times overwhelming. Um, and in terms of in my lifetime, it's different than any other time since I've been alive. So in some ways, I think that with so much more to pay attention to, we also need to be a little more caring and discerning about where and how we pay our attention. And that's different for each of us. And I think there's something in the story of the ox herding boy, going back to that story, that kind of captures this beautifully. You know, when asked, 
by Layman Pang. where this path is they're leading us on, he just simply answers leading the oxen on. He just simply answers, I don't know. Uh, It's not always really necessary to know. And he's not, you know, the boy isn't busy trying to make something up uh, to sound or feel important and knowledgeable, he just responds to Layman Pang, I don't know. So then he's asked by Layman Pang, aren't, well, aren't you hurting the oxen? Challenging him as if, you know, you should know this, and so aren't you the one taking care of the oxen? But in his reply, the boy just says, well, they live in these fields. So in a sense, it's like, well, the oxen in the world are all going on and don't need him to control and organize it all and know where it's all going or should be going. uh, There's a certain element of trust that things are unfolding and going in a way beyond what he might need to know best as to how they should all be proceeding. The layman then asks, well, what time of day is it anyway? Challenging him again, uh, I think, as to, well, does he have any sense about what's going on in the world around him, uh, what he's supposedly taking care of. And sure enough, uh, the boy certainly seems to, he responds to him, well, it's time to take the oxen out to pasture. So in terms of what's in front of him right now, He's aware of what needs doing, and he's simply going to do that now, now that the time is right. And he knows that because he's very intimate with where he is, what he's taking care of. He's just really present. And the layman clearly approves of his answers, and he laughs heartily at the end of this story. So I think in some way for me, this story is really kind of a helpful reminder to just cultivate uh, our flexibility and openness of mind. to be able to go in and out of the big picture without getting swept away, lost, and so overwhelmed that we can't function in our own lives. Uh 
or in the converse to completely shut down and get so stuck in our narrow burrow tuning everything out that uh we're just locked in the smallness of our own experience um, so you know this is our practice to simply really be fully present in this moment and to respond to this moment we're past present and future all abide actually and um, you know the uncertainty to how long we have in this life has always been true but i think it's escalated now uh, to where i think most of us have this sense of that about the whole planet actually uh, so, you know, we may ask ourselves, you know, if we knew so everything would disappear in a week, would you be doing anything different? And I think in some ways this question can help serve us to make each and every moment either more or less important uh, because we could decide in that case well nothing matters since we're all going to die in a week uh, and if we take that position and some people do take that position and it's all too easy to take that position uh, whatever time we do have here a week or 80 years uh, that time will probably be bereft of any meaning and any joy. But it also presents us with the opportunity to decide the opposite, that just because we may only have one week left in this life, in this world, that everything matters. Every act of kindness, every moment of appreciation for what and who, is here now every full engagement into creating a better world, even if it should only last another five minutes, will make a difference for those five minutes. And truly that can be the difference between heaven and hell. So I just want to encourage us all to be brave because it's scary. I mean, it is, let's face it. Um, and to just use whatever time we all do have left here to simply take the oxen to pasture, to make this world, this life more peaceful, more kind, and more joyful for ourselves and all beings. Thank you.